Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Thank you all for being here. Uh, we're going to continue in uh, John's Gospel this morning. We are in chapter 2, and we're going to cover verses 12 through 25. So John uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 25. Let me go, I'll go ahead and read those uh, verses. And after this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. Uh, We ask that uh, you bless our time together, Father. We pray that you'll be here with us. We know that uh, your word says where two or three are gathered in your name, you are here with us. And so we... Welcome you here with us this morning, Father. We pray that you'll uh, lead us in all truth uh, by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. These verses uh, have been the source of some uh, controversy, uh, some attention that has been given uh, to these uh, to these verses. And uh, the reason is because here in John's Gospel, John includes this cleansing of the temple very early on in his ministry. Uh, according to John, uh, this event happened right after their wedding in Cana. The other synoptic uh, Gospels have this event happening uh, during the last week of Jesus' life. And so, who is right which one's right here as far as the actual uh, timeline, the historical timeline. Now, some critics uh, point out that writers of this time were not necessarily concerned with the chronological order of things uh, like we would be. Um, They would theorize that, well, John included it here instead of later because he wanted to show a contrast uh, similar similar to the way that John showed the contrast between the water and the wine and now the contrast between the temple, the physical temple, the building, and uh, Jesus' body. Dr. Sproul said, I'm not satisfied with that answer. I'm not satisfied with that. And the reason is because John makes, uh, makes it a point. He makes it clear he's establishing a timeline here. So he's not satisfied with that, with that answer. Um, 
and uh, he and others, uh, I discussed this with even with Matthew uh, this past week. The answer, the, the, the answer is simple here. Uh, Jesus cleansed the temple twice. That's the simple answer. Actually explaining uh, what is happening here. Why John uh, records it here and then the others record it uh, later. But he did it twice. Now, it occurred here um, when John says it did, and then it occurs again in the last week of Jesus' life before He went to the cross. Uh, now some people, again, there's critics on both sides, right, of all these things, and some critics would say, well, there's no way it happened twice. Absolutely no way. Jesus wouldn't do this twice. There's no reason for Him to do it twice. But again, Sproul points out that repetition is the mark of a good teacher. Is it not? It is. Good teachers often use repetition to make a point. And so um, ministers, in fact, often give the same sermon, the same message more than once. So I don't think it's a stretch that Jesus would have cleansed the temple here early in His ministry and then almost three years later and then again. Uh, he does it uh, here early. Uh, and you can think about it. Uh, again, remember, we, we've got three, roughly three years of public ministry. Um, Jesus does it here early in His ministry. And then again in three years. How long after this first cleansing do you think it would have taken for things to just return back to normal? Okay? One day? Is that what you said? Very possible, right? Very, very, very possible. Um, so, it, it, again, I think it's extremely reasonable to accept what we have here for us. Uh, this, in other words, this was not a one and done. You know, this he did it one time and it was sufficient and never had to do it again. Again, three years separate those, almost three years separate those two events according to how we have it uh, written and recorded for us. And so it is extremely reasonable and plausible that, that it would happen twice, that he would have to do it again. So not a far stretch. But let's, let's look closer at, uh, at these verses. Let's, look at, uh, let's read verses uh, 13 and 14 together. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found that in the temple those who sold the oxen and the sheep and the doves and the money changers doing business. Now, again, John tells us he was in Cana, then they went up to Capernaum, and then he says they went up to Jerusalem. Well, if you look at your map, if you've got the handy maps in the back of your Bible, uh, you'll notice that Capernaum is where? Capernaum is, up, is, is north of Jerusalem, right? It's up on the Sea of Galilee, right? That's where Capernaum is. So why does he say go up? Well, we've mentioned this in earlier studies. You remember the city of Jerusalem was up on a plateau. So anybody, when they say when they were going to Jerusalem, they always said they were going up to Jerusalem. No matter which direction they were coming from. Okay, They were coming from the, the north, they were traveling south, they always said we're going up to Jerusalem. Because literally, you went up. right? So that's, that's the explanation uh, for why it says we went, they went up to uh, Jerusalem. The, the other important detail is in what John records for us here is that when Jesus he found in the temple okay that those that were selling the oxen and the sheep and the doves they were in the temple complex okay inside the temple 
had these activities been happening outside of the temple, most likely Jesus would have done nothing. Had this been happening outside of the temple grounds at a, at a different location, even if it was nearby, uh, most likely this entire event, uh, Jesus cleansing the temple probably would not have happened. The problem was what? They were doing business inside the temple. That was the problem. Doing business inside the temple. Well, why were the livestock and the money changers there? Well, what was the purpose? Why were they there? Well, during uh, Passover, every, remember Jews traveled into Jerusalem and uh, everyone who traveled there was required to bring an animal for sacrifice. And since most had to travel, some had to travel great distances. Remember, no, no interstate road systems. No Traveling was much more difficult then, right? Uh, it was much easier for families uh, as they traveled to, to buy an animal once they got to the city. Much easier than having to transport one with them, right? They didn't have diesel trucks and livestock trailers, right? You know, they didn't... Much easier to just buy it when they got to town. So that's why they're selling the oxen and the sheep there. Okay, that's the purpose of that. The money changers, why were they there? Well, there were several different currencies used in the region at this time. Now, again, this is Passover, so the Jews had to pay their temple tax at this time. And so it had to pay right here. And, and only the, the temple tax was only accepted uh, in a certain form of currency, and it had to be the most pure uh, silver currency. Okay, So um, the, the, the business here, that's why the money changes are there. So if you brought some different currency, you had to exchange for what was acceptable for the temple tax. Uh, it was quite a lucrative business, actually, for these money changers. Uh, some of them charged as much as 12% to do this. Uh, that's, that's pretty steep, actually, right, for just changing money out. Normally, uh, these activities would have been set up across the Kidron Valley, okay, across uh, on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, away from the temple. That's where it normally would have happened. But we see here that they had moved this operation, okay? They have moved this stuff here uh, towards uh, the temple for the sake of convenience. Okay, they had moved it uh, to the outer court. If you remember, the outer court was the court of the Gentiles. And so now this outer court of the Gentiles, this sacred holy place, had been transformed into a place of business rather than a place of worship. So, when Jesus came to the temple and He saw it being used like this, John tells us that He fashioned a whip and He took action. Now, um, what? how do you think this went down? Imagine in your head, right? How do you imagine... Okay, he said he fashioned a whip and he drove out the animals. What do you think that looked like? I think he cracked the whip. I don't think he actually hit him. He just cracked the whip. Okay, anybody else? Oh, okay. I saw the animals screaming and okay. people shouting. Okay. Chaos. What else? Anybody else? Um, y- y'all are 
both of y'all are uh, right. Uh, some people, when they come to this, though, they they read this, and I admit, I guess I probably have at some point in my time read it the same way. Probably uh, when I was younger, maybe less mature in my faith. Uh, but they would read this and just imagine like something you see in a movie, and you see Jesus in some sort of fit of rage, you know, just driving out these, driving out the animals and the people, right, using the whip, um, and you just see, you know. Madness and rage in his eyes, and you just see that. That's that's kind of what some people imagine. Admittedly, I think I probably would have imagined that at some point too. But actually, the purpose of the whip, as uh, Dad said, was to drive the animals out. Uh, cracking of the whip to make the noise. Uh, animals, livestock. If some of you in here are familiar with that, I know I am. Uh, they are when everything's when they're just kind of in their herd everything's kind of calm but as soon as a loud noise happens or a commotion happens it startles them okay they run they they don't like that Um, and so the purpose of the whip was to drive the animals out jesus was not whipping people okay he was he was not doing that okay Uh, it does say that he went to the money changers and had just turned their tables all over, right? Because that's where they're keeping account of everything. And so that's where their order was. They knew where. So to turn the table over, it just scattered everything. It just, there is no way to keep it straight now, right? Because everything is just scattered. And so they just turned them table over. And yes, uh, like Ms. Vet said, there was probably very much chaos. This was quite a chaotic event. Though his action, uh, the physical action that Jesus took, though it was forceful, it was not cruel. Okay, and that's what we need to remember. Our Lord was forceful here. He took action, but it was not cruel. Uh, we, can, we can understand this because the, the, the moderation of his action did not generate a riot. How do we know that? Well, if it had generated a riot, there probably would have been a law. The Romans would have sent troops in to settle the riot, which is what they have done. Okay, in other instances when you had riots, you know, um, but but that didn't happen. Uh, no, no troops were sent in. Um, was it chaotic? Yes. Was there a riot? Did a riot ensue? No, no, it did not. So. Yes, he took appropriate action. It was forceful, but it was not cruel. Do you think the Pharisees um, realized how bad it was? I mean, that that was really wrong? Probably not. (laughs) Right? Probably not. Um, I'm sure they weren't happy, right? Because they're going to ask for a sign here in a minute, right? Tell us, you know, why you do this. Who are you and why you do this? Um, It says in Mark that that's when they began to hate him and sought how to kill him. There you go. Uh, whether th- that was this account or the second later account, it, in Mark it says they, they hated him because of what he did. Well, there... It was judgment. It that, was public judgment. Yes, it was. They were allowing. Yes, it was. Temple. They're the officials. They were allowing this to happen, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a minute. But they were the officials, and he definitely had a problem with it. Uh, rightly so. He's extremely justified, obviously, in what he did. Uh, verse 17, John gives us a hint on why Jesus takes this action. He says, Then his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. 
Now, this is a quote from Psalm 69. And Psalm 69 is not usually considered a messianic psalm. Okay, it's a psalm of David. Uh, he appears to be talking about himself. And we read in Psalm 69 these verses. It says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs on my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I must restore it. O God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me. O God of Israel, because of your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's children. Clearly, David was distressed. And then he gives the reason as he writes in verse 9. Verse 9 of Psalm 69, Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. What's David saying here? David's saying here, Because I have proclaimed your word, O God, because I have proclaimed your word, I have become a reproach even to my own family. My own family hates me because I proclaim your truth. Because of the passion, my passion, for this is David, this is, we're paraphrasing, uh, because of my passion for your house, I am now despised and I am hated. So what the disciples did is they connected Jesus' zeal for the temple with that of David's expression that we find in the psalm. They connected uh, the two things. Now, when we think about zeal, uh, zeal for, as we have written here, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, we're here with the Son of God. He's, he's here, and yes, He has zeal for the temple, but it wasn't simply zeal for the temple, the physical building itself. Okay? Um, that was not what was eating him up. Okay, That was not simply what was eating him up. Let me say that. His zeal was for the activity that was supposed to be happening there. And what is that? The worship and prayer, prayers to the living God. That's what was supposed to be happening in the temple. Correct? And so that is what really, that is what Jesus is zealous for. That's what His zeal, when it comes out, He is... Uh, longing because he knows this is what's supposed to be happening here. And look at everything else. Look at all this other chaos. Imagine imagine going to church here this morning, right? And uh, when you go inside, and I know we close doors and stuff, but just imagine it was open air times, you know, where you had screen doors. Because, you know, our church still has a screen door on the back of it, right? At one point, we didn't have air conditioning, right? You had windows up and you had screen doors open. But just imagine right outside, all you could hear was a livestock yard. Okay. Imagine all you could hear was the bleeding of sheep and goats. Imagine that that was what you could just hear. You could hear all of that. It was loud. It was chaotic. Imagine 
that as you sit down this morning uh, for worship? Wouldn't that be distracting? Well, that was what was going on here. That was what was happening here. The, the sacred grounds that had been set aside for worship and for prayer to the living God had become chaotic. Yes, were the people's needs being met? Was there a function being served by what was happening? Yes. Okay. We can, we can, yes, there, that was, we understand that. In, in Sproul's commentary, he, I, I want to quote him a little bit uh, because think, putting himself kind of in the authorities' shoes, you know, why? Because, as Miss Lily asked, the Pharisees, they would have allowed this to happen, right? This was permitted. So what was going through their mind? Well, imagine, that, and this is Dr. Sproul, imagine, I'm sure the authorities were saying something like this. We're just trying to be relevant. We're, we're trying to be seeker-sensitive, right? To those who can't bring lambs on their own. They can't bring them from help. Those who need help being uh, having their money changed. We're just... We're just trying to cater to them. Cater to the people and their needs. Be relevant. Well, those efforts um, may have made certain aspects of this easier for the people or simpler, but they also negatively impacted the people's ability to worship. Now, which one's more important? Your convenience or the worship of the living God? What's more important, your comfort or the worship of the living God? Which one is more important here? Okay. We know what Jesus thinks is more important here because of what He has done. Um, Dr. Sproul says, he mentions um, here about... Uh, his church at St. Andrews. Now we know Dr. Spool is going to do with the Lord, but uh, the, the church he pastored in Orlando, uh, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit uh, from him, but he says he, he loves it when, or he delights when the people gather on Sunday morning and you see people chatting and, and fellowshipping before uh, the service starts. Uh, and we, we see that. Here in our own church. We have a very loving and warm church here. And people want to see each other. Right? You can tell it uh, when the worship service is over. Right? When you go outside. What, what happens? A lot of, it, can, it just flows out, doesn't it? it just, the, the fellowship we share with the living God, a worship service afterwards, it, it, when, we, when, when it's over, and the preacher has, has pronounced the blessing and we leave, it just the fellowship just spills out, and you see people talking, chatting, just being with each other. Right? It's a wonderful thing. It's an absolutely wonderful thing. But back to what Sproul was saying, what he had did, what he had done at his church is even he's happy to see this happening before the worship service, but he strongly encouraged the congregation to become silent and prepare their hearts before the worship service starts. Now what they did at his church was to, to, to remind the people, right? In a, in a gentle, 
respectful way. Because again, we're not trying to discourage fellowship. Fellowship is good. But what they did, right before the worship service, the call to worship was supposed to happen, they would dim the lights in the sanctuary and the strings, they have stringed instruments, would start to play a prelude softly. And what that was the reminder to the people here, okay, it's time. They were the signals to the people to who, who were enjoying wonderful fellowship, which is a good thing, right? Good, good, wonderful thing. But as a reminder, as a signal to them to turn from the fellowship with one another, now it's time to turn to our fellowship with God. And that's different, isn't it? That's very different. As these signals in his chapel, uh, as they would happen, as the lights would dim, the strings begin to play softly, he said the sanctuary grows delightfully quiet. And as it does, it gives everyone time to focus on why we're here. Primarily, we're not here to fellowship with one another. We're primarily gathered to fellowship with the living God and to worship Him. Right? Considering what we have here in John, considering what Dr. Sproul was talking about, his words were, simply put, noise is not conducive to worship. Would you... He said... Simply put, noise is not conducive to worship. And I agree. It is distracting, right? It is. I, I, I completely um, I completely agree. Now, the main thing uh, that we take away from this incident that we have recorded for us here that John records is the truth that God is very particular about how His people approach Him. It's very particular about how the people uh, approach Him. Especially when they're gathered in the temple, like we have here, or in the sanctuary that we have uh, next door. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. That's the point that he's trying to make, why he took action, why it was severe, why it was serious. Um, that's the point he's trying to make. What was Jesus saying about this particular place? He was saying, this is holy ground. This is a place for prayer. This is a place for worship and for adoration of the living God. That's what this is for. That you can take your animals and your produce and your business and take it across the street. It doesn't belong here. Jesus was saying, This is my father's house. And it is a very serious thing to impede on his worship. Um. I know it's you know we're a, a small town, a small community. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we've uh, we do business with one another. And um, how many times has has somebody told you, 
Well, I'll just I'll pay you at church. Can you can you bring it to church and I'll just pay you at church? Now, I'll be honest with you. I've always avoided that. Why? Is there something inherently wrong with that? Well, probably not. But what does it do? It it changes things a little bit, doesn't doesn't it? If we're doing business, because it's it's nothing wrong with the business that we're doing. It's good stuff, right? But it when we're at church, it. It it, change, it 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 just changes why we're here, right? Uh, it it just it becomes now our fellowship with one another uh, in uh, the sanctuary uh, with the living God, and now we're okay. Okay, here I brought your whatever. I mean, I I sell a lot of stuff, right? Here I bought your stuff, and you give me some money, and we go about our business. I don't like it. I avoid it. I don't want to do it because I think it changes things, right? It's it's um, I think it changes things. Jesus, I think Jesus would say, "Hey, take your business another to another day. It's my day. It's not your day. It's my day." Now, Calvin had a wonderful um, help here about uh, worship and about what we're to be about on the Lord's day, and he said, "We ought to always, therefore, to keep before our eyes the majesty of God." which dwells in the church, that it might not be defiled by any pollutions. And the only way in which that is holiness can remain unimpaired, unimpaired is that nothing be admitted into it, that's the, the church, the, the worship, nothing be admitted into it that is at variance with the Word of God. You see what he's saying about worship? He's they said. You shouldn't allow anything into the worship of God that's not prescribed in the Word of God. Why? Because it's a big deal. Worship of the living God is a big deal. It's important to God, the Almighty. Now what we have in our church, in our particular denomination, I'm sure there are others, we have what is we observe and hold to what is called the regulative principle, meaning what? We don't allow anything in a worship service that is not specifically prescribed to us uh, in the Word of God. Why? Is that because we don't want you to have fun? Is that because we don't want to be relevant? Is that because we don't want to be uh, you know, hip and have all the latest stuff? No. Because we want to be zealous for the worship of God. And God in His Word has described what His worship will look like and what's allowed. And so we say, unless He's prescribed it in His Word, we're not going to allow it. It's not coming in. Because God does not take this lightly. Jesus does not take this lightly. So we would agree that it's a big deal. It's very, very important. Uh, I really I, I thought a lot about uh, our Sunday mornings, and I think our worship services are uh, we are of course liturgical in nature. We have an order which which is scriptural; that things will be in order, which is what we do. We have um, the reading of the word, we have prayer, we have the singing of spiritual songs, right hymns, and the preaching of the word. We have the giving of tithes and offerings. Those are all prescribed to us in the Word of God, and that's what we do. Our worship is not chaotic, is it? Because 
I mean, it's it's our God's a God of order, right? He's a God of order. It's it's not chaotic. Is it is it spirit filled? Absolutely. Do we have some amens going on? Yes, absolutely. That is spirit filled. That's when the Spirit brings the truth through His ministers. People are moved sometimes, right? I mean, it, it, it's that's the that's the that's a spirit filled uh, worship. But our worship service is designed, first of all, to make God Himself front and center. That's what it's to be about. Isn't it? That's what the worship. That's why we're here. We're to worship our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. And our worship service is about Him, and it's not about any man, woman, or child. It's about Him. Well, in response to this, to this uh, chaotic, yes, absolutely. Was it cruel? No. It was forceful? Yes. It was done with force because of what we're talking about. It's very important. So in response to this, the Jews now ask Jesus in verse 18, the second half, He says what? What sign do you show to us since you do these things? In other words, what are they saying? What's what's a modern way of asking that same question? Who do you think you are? Right? Isn't that it? That's, That's a modern way of asking this question. Who in the world do you think you are? Coming in here and doing this. Well, Jesus replies replies in verse 19. He says this, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Well, of course, we know what they assumed, right? They assumed that He's talking about the literal temple, the building which they had been working on for 46 years now. And guess what? It still wasn't even finished. They were still working on it at this time. Okay, they were still working on this thing. So to them, it was probably almost laughable. Really? You're going to destroy it and build it in three days. His, his, his uh, disciples were also confused. They didn't understand exactly what he was talking about. Um, only after, which John tells us, only after he was raised from the dead did they understand what he was talking about. And John offers, uh, if you want to call it editorial help here for his readers, right? And he explains what Jesus was referring to here in these passages. He explains that. That Jesus was not referring to the literal temple, brick and mortar. He was referring to what? The temple of his own body that would be crucified on the cross to save sinners and then will be raised again in three days. The uh, this temple that is ha- at this time, uh, this temple was uh, in fact, as we know, destroyed in seventy A.D. when the Romans came in and ransacked uh, the area, destroyed everything. Many Christians, uh, even today, when they talk about the temple or they have their ideas about the temple, many Christians, okay, evangelical Christians, are waiting for the new temple to be built. And they believe that it will be the sign of the end of the age. What they fail to understand, because when, when Jesus is, is talking about the temple, 
He's not talking about the building. He's talking about Himself. Right? What they fail to understand is the good news for sinners is the temple has already been rebuilt. Okay? The good news for sinners is that the temple's already been rebuilt. Christ Himself is the temple. The rebuilding took place on the day of His resurrection. We're not looking for a brick and mortar return of some building that's going to make, you know, it's going to symbolize the ending, uh, the ending of the age. We're not looking for that. What we're looking for has already happened. We're looking for now Him to come back in His glory, aren't we? That's what we're looking forward to. The day that Jesus in His glorified state will come back and He will set everything right. That's what we're looking forward to. The second uh, return of Christ. I'll close with this. Uh, John Calvin, and then we're going to have some questions, have time for some questions. Uh, John Calvin has a wonderful uh, warning. He has a warning here for us, and we can take it as such. When we consider what Jesus did here, when we consider His actions that He took, this is the warning from Calvin. All of us ought to have zeal in common with the Son of God. We should have the same zeal that the Son of God has. But... All are not at liberty to seize a whip that we may correct vices with our hands. For we have not received the same power, nor have we been entrusted with the same commission. Do you see what Calvin is saying here? Calvin is saying the zeal of the Lord, yes, we should have that. We should be zealous for the worship of the living God. But we have to be very careful to pick up the whip. Why? Because we haven't been empowered by the Holy Spirit like Jesus was, right? We have the power, but not in the same way that Jesus did. We have the same power that Jesus had, nor do we have the same commission. We're not the Messiah. We're not the Son of God. He is. He alone is. He was commissioned. He had power to do what He was there to do. And we do not have that same uh, commission, same purpose. So that's a warning for us. It's a warning for all of us. Questions or comments or anything? We have just a couple minutes left, about five minutes left. Anybody, questions or comments? Okay. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for our time this morning. Father, we, uh, as we do most Sundays, Father, if something was said here this morning in error, Father, we ask that You take it away. Uh, Father, but where uh, truth has been given from Your Word, Father, Your Word is the source of truth. You are the source of all truth. We ask that You apply it to each one of us and to our lives. And we pray that You will change us uh, because we were here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.